Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and host of the CSA Online Podcast Show. And today we've got another episode in our new format, the Solution Spotlight, where we try to really shine the spotlight um, on what some companies do, products and services both. But what do they actually do? What verticals are they in? And you know, who are they helping and how are they doing it? And we know that there's, there's, that's important in our community as well. And um, I've got with me today, Rick Kahn, VP of Solutions at Verve Industrial Protection. He's a CSA fellow. He's a former CSA chapter president. One of the very first ones actually has been uh, involved with CSA uh, since it's very, very early days. And um, I'm excited to have uh, have you on the show, uh, Rick, to talk about Verve. Thanks for having us, Derek. Uh, you guys are a great conduit to be sharing ideas and, and further the educational component. And so anytime we get a chance to chew the fat, I have a, I quite enjoy our discussion. So thanks for this. Yeah, well, same here. And uh, and you know, you know better than most, our sort of DNA at CSA has been, uh, you know, for all of our sponsoring partners, you know, come and educate and come and teach, and you know, and 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 business, you know, comes or springs from that wellspring, right? But this is an opportunity that uh, both uh, both partners are interested in in us being able to offer, but but also members of our community have said, hey, from time to time, we do really want to understand what people do because we do need services, we do need products. And this, you know, can you provide or help create uh, as far as the platform some unique insights to what people do? So I'm excited to talk about, you know, Verve. And Verve's no spring chicken. You guys have been uh, uh, evolving to where you are over quite a few years. So I thought my, that might be a good point is to just peel back the onion layer. Was it called Verve originally, you know? And could you go back to sort of where the company came from? Yeah, that's actually a great question. And, and it helps actually to share some, uh, you know, one of those you know, party games, like tell us something that nobody would guess about you sort of thing, right? Um, Verve actually, um, all of our marketing since I've joined, uh, which I'll get to in a second, how we get to where we are now, but it, Verve is, is not our original name. We actually, uh, our origin is that we started in 1983, 83, 93. Our founder is an electrical engineer. Uh, didn't like the GE Westinghouse Emerson merger acquisition stuff um, and decided to hang out his own shingle. And he started a company with a couple of, of, of partners and a sort of a loose network of other you know, consulting experts. If you needed to bring in a vibration monitoring expert, for example, to sort of offer this, you know, one stop shop to help, you know, a bunch of power clients in, in the southeast uh, United States. He, he formed a company called RK Neal. And uh, and funny enough, I'd, I'd actually run into RK Neal back when I was with Matricon back in. 2007, you know, and, uh, and thought, well, that's a weird name and kind of laughed about the founder's name. Is, his name is Beavis. I uh, I used to do intros on calls when both he and the CEO were there. And I said, well, if, if the founder is Beavis, who is the CEO then, right? Is it must be Butthead, right? If you hadn't said it, I was thinking it. <laughs> yeah, well, I decided I shouldn't be always publicly making fun of my CEO. But anyways, um, no, so it was very interesting, and 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 Bob Bob built, you know, and we still do today, which most people don't know. We do a lot of automation engineering. We do DCS programming, PLC upgrades. Uh, we have a whole division that does what we call real time services, which is all around Pi tags and historian and and alarm rationalization and and tagging, etc. And some really cool tools. But what what evolved? So about seven years ago, Bob realized that he had a sorry back up fifteen years ago, NERCSIP came along and said, well, we should be doing something, you know, quasi-security, you know, pure security people think it's just a compliance. It is, but it's got the building blocks. It's got inventory and vulnerability identification and protections. And so a lot of our power clients said, well, you built our system and know it better than anyone. Maybe you should, you know, go and figure out how we're going to secure this. And so the first iteration of our software platform was born, what we call today the Verve Security Center. 
And so a few years into that, Bob had built a tool and it wasn't bad, it was interesting. It did what the, the, the end users needed. Um, it gathered data, it presented it to the compliance team, they then showed the auditors and everybody moved one on their way. Um, but Bob realized that there was so much more potential and power in there. And Bob is very much a, he's a brilliant guy, but um, he's about networking and architecture and you know bits and bytes and stuff and not building in an international sort of company. So he sold um, he sold a portion of the of the company to our current CEO and, and leader uh, John Livingston. John is 25 years McKinsey Institute senior leader, um, seen all sorts of sizes and shapes of organizations. Very very well connected, very very uh, well educated, um, and all about organizational transformation. So which not only benefits Verve with him at the helm, it benefits our clients that are coming in saying, look, we're really much at the very front end of a program, or we have a program but it's a hot mess, or you know what I mean. So we don't just need to try and sell software or widget, we, we actually honestly partner with our clients and, and help them over multiple phases. So anyways, John came in and decided it, John wanted to grow the group. And so John started to hire some, some experts in certain areas. And so we've got some really talented people in Houston now. We've got a, an amazing CTO driving our software based in Madison, Wisconsin. He actually sold a very key component to, I believe it was Proofpoint. He's already built and sold security tools before. Um, Top-notch CTO built the rebuilt the platform from the ground up, future-proofed it. We were still, you know, using Silverlight and stuff when I joined back in uh, 2015. So, you know, John sort of built this really cool machine that we're now taking to market. That's mostly what most people know about his firm is the security center, and that's and that's rebirth of, from Archie Neil really about seven years ago. Um, and so it, it's fun to be a part of a growth. And when I came here, we we're 30 people. We're at about 150 people. Our growth is averaging 60, 70% year over year. We continue to expand uh, people, offices, geographies, et cetera. So it, it's, uh, it's fun. Some real big differences from others in the market though for competition. A lot of our competition is venture capital backed, right? Uh, and so we have a very, very different profile. We're self-funded, we're kind of a mom and pop, but we have a really cool reputation because we have a really cool product. And unfortunately, I, I sometimes wish that I had the 50 million to spend on marketing because I, I think we'd have a different trajectory. But but when you're when you're self-funded, you kind of control your own destiny as well, which is cool. Um, yeah, so I, I I was glad uh, you know I had met John before, but I got to uh, talk a little bit more at the Security Week conference in Atlanta, where I live, uh, just just back in uh, in October, uh, since he was he was there uh, just across the room from where we where our booth was. So you know I, I thought of a, a couple of different things as you were you were talking. What, what verticals, do you, you know, some companies are sort of vertical specific. You mentioned Houston, I think oil and gas, but obviously you, have, you guys have offices in multiple places. You're in Calgary. That's a famous yep. oil and gas place as well. What, yep. what, how many verticals are you guys in? Yeah, great question. So when I came here, we were mostly power, given that that was our history was and our next step was, was the base. Uh, in the last seven years, we now expand to, uh, we do some water and wastewater. Uh, we do a lot of pulp and paper. We do a lot of types of power, including um, geothermal, solar, wind, um, hydro, but also into some of these new, like using recycled material as biomass to burn and you know different types of combined cycle uh, systems, et cetera. We have pipeline clients, a lot of TSA regulated clients now in our stable. Um, we have refining clients, uh, we have food. Uh, I guarantee you are going to eat some of the products of one of our clients at uh, some point in the next 24 to 48 hours, just how, how prevalent they are. We have uh, pharmaceutical, uh, consumer packaged goods, um, food packaging, heavy machinery, you know, heavy sort of not quite automotive sort of stuff. But, um, you know, so probably eight or nine different verticals, depending how you carve up yeah. energy. 
right into pipelines, refining upstream, downstream, sort of. I'm a little disappointed. I didn't hear you say space. I mean, I'm really thinking that, that is, that's a huge opportunity. I mean, are you, you guys aren't covering the space industry? Yeah, no, it's, uh, we, we are. Uh, we, we, we always get tire kickers. The, the two, to be honest, the two that are the toughest to get into if you haven't done them before, because it's sort of a closed system and also because they, they move even slower than government, if you can believe it, is, uh, is military and, uh, and space, right? Um, I don't want to name any names, but I, I, I've talked to five or six different aerospace, airplane sort of, you know, and it's it's always a boatload of interest and then three months between meetings, unfortunately. So, um, you know, there's there's people that move faster. Uh, I'm happy to talk to them, uh, not not counting them out, but um, there are some real constraints over there. So, but, um, you know, you know what I think the difference is, and you, you said you had a couple. Is there something else you want to clarify before we well, have a little I mean, bit to... No, I mean, I, I've, I've thought of a variety of threads we can we can pull, but you sounds like you got something in mind. So what, what, what were you thinking? Yeah, well, so the, the other thing I wanted to take, you know, here's the origin. And so then a little bit about why am I here? Because I, to me, I think there's a bit of a personal story to what we do and how we do it. And uh, I'm a little too thin skinned to be in the, in the market and sort of on the sales end of things. Because, you know, like, uh, I always want to educate, right? Like you said, I'm chapter president. I've also been the cyber rep on the DOD physical security committee. I've been the chair of the natural, um, natural NPRA, the National Petroleum Refiner Association uh, cybersecurity subcommittee. Uh, I'm on the selection committee for Public Safety Canada and a contributor to ICSGWG. I always want to educate, right? Because to be honest, you know, there's lots of products out there. Um, there's lots of politics. There's lots of way to buy things and, and, and you know, uh, political environments and, and whatnot. And I, I can't be bothered that. I truly just want to solve problems. And so when I see I uh, offered to be part of a committee somewhere else, and they said, well, we only allow owner operators in our committees. And I'm like, okay, your owner operator has one facility, maybe multiple facilities, but one set of politics and one set of tools. I literally talked to 256 brand new potential clients last year, 256 owner operators that had an operational challenge and a chasm across to, 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 try, and, to try and cross. Um, and I'm not saying that makes me smarter, but it means that I've got a way deeper tickle trunk of things to pull out and say, oh, I saw this happen once before. It was really cool versus, yeah, you might want to think hard about that before you do it or do it under these circumstances, right? And so quite often because you're a vendor, you get you know painted with that label. And it's not a poor me. I get it. It's just the way it is. But it brings me to why I'm here. When I was at NatureCon, we had grown up this security practice, and it was funny. My my, I, I got into this one day. I was actually an internal IT, just a traditional IT guy, bringing on new companies and new new staff and departing old ones and making sure backups ran and hiring people to run the ticket system, et cetera. And uh, the CEO came and said, you know, I, I think we probably should be doing security consulting in the OT side because we were selling alarm management software and OPC drivers, connecting to different things and, you know, potentially bridging across firewalls. We didn't want to undo security. And there's an opportunity in some cases to even increase or enhance security. I said, yeah, I think so. It sounds like a really cool idea. He says, yeah, so I think it's a really good business market. And I, I really think we should get into it. And I said, yeah, I agree. And they said, well, okay, do you want to do you want to lead it? Do you want to do it? I'm like, okay, sure. So what do you want me to do? And he says, I literally just hired you to tell me. Go away and come back and tell me what the plan is. So um, it was interesting. Uh, we started with consulting. We looked at NERCSIP. We looked at gap analysis, you know, periodic assessments, et cetera, help people build a roadmap. And then we would try to get to a remediation phase because, you know, I walked into a plan manager's office. He said, we're going to tell me I don't change passwords and I don't patch. How does that help me? Like solve the problem is really what he was trying to say, right? And so we would put in remediation tools. We'd put in, you know, firewalls and network segmentation and maybe put in a backup solution and some antivirus. And so then here you go. Uh, but you're giving this to an operational team that 
isn't necessarily IT or security inclined and certainly doesn't have spare bodies lying around doing nothing with nothing better to do. And so I really wanted Matricon to build a platform that would help clients to manage security, like to actually stay on top of it, right? Like track what we're doing and where it's happening and how it goes, because, you know, you can kludge it into a ticket system somewhere maybe, but I mean, it's, it's nothing that elegant. I really wanted something purpose built for it. Well, um, we were getting close to being able to, we sold a couple of big deals that year in security. Um, and so we thought, great, you know, we've got some momentum, got some cash, we need to get some of that put into investment. And the boss was like, yeah, that's maybe not a bad idea, except that momentum got the attention of Honeywell. And so we got, everything got sort of taken aside. And I really wanted Honeywell to build something like this, but trying to get Honeywell to build something from the newest outsider from an acquisition is like trying to steer the Titanic with a teaspoon. <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe I was younger then and impatient, but um, I went to, uh, I quickly saw that, that a vendor specific approach is, is very powerful, but also by definition has to be very contained, right? As much as I wanted to help a client with all of their kit, including Emerson and ABB and Rockwell, there's no way in heck anyone's going to let Honeywell touch Emerson and vice versa. It just, it just doesn't make sense, right? And so I'm very pleased to be at a company that that not only is vendor agnostic again, because you know most of our clients have more than one system, um, not just a single system. Even if you're like wholly Emerson and Power, you still have Bentley Nevada, you know, vibration monitoring and other you know supporting systems. But the second is that that what we do actually helps to manage the program, which sort of is my launch into the, the next chapter of what I want to talk about today. Every tool, almost every tool, lots of tools, majority of tools are on the market saying, I will give you information. I will give you insight. There's such a lack of awareness and knowledge or, or, or scope or depth and breadth that everybody wants to give you information. And, and, and companies get that, right? If I'm a venture capital, I do something really cool, but it, maybe it's a little too advanced for this, you know, I have people saying, I don't even know what I have. What, what do I want advanced, you know, artificial intelligence for? You know, that's a little- product in this space 10 years ago, and it yeah. was, it was that in spades, which is like, you know, in hindsight, we could have given the product to so many customers, they couldn't have done anything with it, let alone buy it from us. You know, you were frontliner. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so the, you talk to those people, they say, well, that's interesting, but I just don't know what I don't have. And so then we fall back to the basics and the building blocks and et cetera. And so I, I guess where I'm going with this is that, is that if you have a tool that can give you a list of data, that's interesting. It's better than nothing, but without context, it's hard to do anything about it, right? And the second thing is that most of those systems give you data, but that's it's read-only. It's like, here's your report, right? Like, here's your blood work. Does it tell you what's wrong with you? Well, it tells you your salt is up, but it doesn't tell you, you know, your 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 cholesterol. Maybe it doesn't tell you what's on the X-ray or the MRI or the, you know what I mean? Like when you go to get looked at, you need to look at multiple things and put it into context. But even more importantly, if your doctor doesn't send you to that office with now go, here's your exercise routine and the pills you're going to take and the specialists you're going to go see. It's just data. It's just used and it ages and it doesn't do anything and nobody gets any better, right? And so what I love over here, this says my lipids are, you know, my high density lipids are really high. And nobody ever yeah. told me what to do about that. It's just a piece yeah. of paper over here in the stack. I mean, I, I think yeah. mine are good, but I mean, you're right. You get the, you get all the lab results and sometimes it's crickets after that. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and it's, it, and I, this is the part that scares me is that, you know, I hear, thoughts and thought leaders and people who have the podium and listeners say things like, well, we'll never be able to patch anything. So why don't we just give up? You know, like it's, it's the, and I had this discussion exactly yesterday with somebody who said, you know, they all tell me that I need to be able to detect an attack in motion. I need to be able to detect, 
somebody changing a read to a write or a, a set limit from seven to 70 or 700 or something like that. And I said, sure, you absolutely do, right? Just like I need to lock the front door in the house I'm building, but the house has to have enough rooms for my kids and plumbing and heating and all the other things. And then I need to lock it, right? Like it, it, is, it needs to be in there, but if that's all I worry about, right? Like, and I said, are you really gonna base your entire defense of your operational environment and defend yourself to the board and the CISO with, we put a really cool you know, perimeter detection on and so if somebody gets in, I'll, I'll know about it. Well, they're already in. Like it's, it's like, I'm not gonna do fire prevention, fire safety, fire awareness. I'm not gonna, you know, clear the exit aisles. I'm not gonna light up the, the exit and then put the exit sign up and teach people to do fire drills. I'm just gonna make sure I've got a really good fire to smoke detector. So if something goes off, I, I know I can jump into action. It, it seems so short-sighted and putting so many eggs in a basket that you really, you really need to go and reduce the risk. I know we've got Windows XP. I know we've got Server 2003. I know we've got legacy equipment. I know we've got all these challenges around, you know, challenge bandwidth and trying to get 110% out of machine ready capacity and, you know, never take breaks. But if it gets in, I mean, look at any single, we had an operational client that had a ransomware that we're talking maybe sort of, I don't know, we'll see, can we find the budget? Well, who's in charge? IT, OT, fight, fight, whatever, whatever. Suddenly ransomware, boom. Within three days, we had to scramble four teams. We're going to probably do nine months for the work and, in three months for this client, which I don't ever want to see anybody get to, but that's that's the reality, right? Is if you don't if you don't protect, they will get in, and if they get in, and you haven't done anything, it'll be catastrophic. And that's that's the part of the debate that I think information or perimeter or alerting, you know, read-only type of data gives people a false sense of security. If I give you an inventory and list of vulnerabilities, do you think you're okay? Not if you haven't done anything about them, right? That, that's my opinion, right? I've, I've always wanted to help clients reduce the risk. The first step is understanding it and identifying it. But if you stop there, you you really haven't done. If anything, you made yourself more culpable. Right? Like at least before, we could say we didn't know, right? But now that we know that there's all this risk, and they still haven't done anything about it, you know, it's almost you know, I don't know. If, you, if you're gonna rip it off, you gotta rip it all the way off and do all of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ignorance is not bliss. <laughs> not no, anymore. no. It could, but there were times. You know, I, I I can think back over the years of selling security products now for 25 years. Uh, well, I don't anymore. I'm enjoying this my neutral position in the marketplace. But for many years, uh, you know, I, I was for 20 of the last 25, I guess. And that there were times, especially on monitoring and awareness products, uh, not just in this OT space, my very first product, 1997, there were customers like, oh, I'm going to know that I have some problems uh, because of this. That's a liability for me. You know, it's so, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Um, so that that is always sort of an interesting thing, but it's 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 uh, the genie's out of the bottle, and and it's not going to be a protective strategy to say I uh, didn't know, didn't know. <laughs> you're like, well, yeah. you're still, still out of a job. <laughs> yep. Well, and, that, and that's and that's exactly why I'm so excited about what we do, right? Is because we don't want to just identify. So there's two big differences between us and traditional tools that I think speak to that need and actually helped clients to to make a step change in their capabilities. Um, and the first is that we don't just, we well, because we're built for as an endpoint management tool, I have, by definition, a, a very deep and technical understanding of what actually is out there. Not a cursory pass of it from listening on the perimeter, not a, not a you know, a, a dump of something from WSS and another dump from SolarWinds and another dump from Rockwell Asset Center trying to piece together, you know, a secondary sort of inventory. I'm talking right to the endpoints so and everything about it, right? And, and everything that's possibly out there. That's my starting point. But on top of that, I have to add context, right? 
not every Windows 7 box is, is created equal. Not every Windows server box is created equal. Some of them are redundant file servers or domain controllers. Others are critical lab information or safety systems. And as we all know, in IT, we just make everything Windows 11 and patch everything on a Tuesday. And if something breaks, we enter a ticket. Well, you can't. You have to have plan A and then B and then C and then D. Oh, but that's the such and such model in the whatchamacallit. I can't touch that. So what am I doing to protect that over there? The only way to have those debates and discussions is through context. Think, think of something as simple as I'm going to go get an inventory because I need to know vulnerabilities and figure out a patching program. I'm eventually going to get to a robust incident response program, which includes some sort of backup and restoration. If I don't have enough data at the inventory level to be able to decide who gets a daily full backup versus who gets a weekly, who gets offsite, who doesn't, who gets redundant, you know, high availability standover, I'm not going to be able to build my backup solution and my, in, and my instant response program properly. So I'm going to go back to redo my inventory if I don't get it right the first time, right? If I don't have context, right? Inventory powers through everything and inventory comes from the endpoint. Um, and so that's the first difference is that we want to go to the endpoint and we want to bring context because it makes for informed decisions. Um, I mean, think about it. Bluetooth comes out. Where are you going to test it? You don't have one of everything in the lab. Where are you going to test it? Well, somebody with tribal knowledge is going to say, uh, pretty sure there's a 2012 version of a domain controller in the DMZ we can test the 2012 patch on. We're going to have to find one for the 2008 patch or the, or the Windows 7 patch or the Windows 10 patch or what have you. And if you don't know that this Windows 7 box is not equal to the other, one of my clients, <laughs> they found a bunch of machines, they needed a patch. They were literally testing remote desktop into those devices with default accounts and passwords to go and look at the start run programs and see, oh, Maximal, let's go talk to the maintenance team. It might be their system, right? It's impossible if you don't have context. So context, but then remediation. A beat up on read only, you need to do something about it. I can actually help you to reduce the risk. Not just patch, system hardening, disabling users. You know how many times projects come in and people put admin accounts on the back end to make software work and troubleshoot and get it working through FAT, SAT, and then maybe never turn that off. We, had, we, we found 47 dormant admin accounts at a refining client of ours the other day. Every last one of them belonged to people that no longer work there. Yeah. Right. You know, and so in OT, because I have to pick the little bits in here and there to minimize the attack surface, I can't just make it Windows 10 and I can't just patch it. I need to have all these different uh, nuances. The more I know and the more flexible and adept I can be, the more powerful I become, right? But it's about context and it's about risk reduction. Because if I don't do the second part, like you said, that first part just makes me liable, right? It doesn't, it, it, I know more, but I'm in a worse spot than if I knew nothing. And so that's what, I, that's what really excites me about it. And we've got some really powerful case studies and examples of how this is, is translated for many organizations to the point where they've literally said, I've got three different CISOs and three different industry verticals that have said, if you ever need me to talk to anyone anywhere about anything, here's my number. You know, which, I is, should, which is powerful. No, it is. It's super powerful. And I, I should know the answer to, to this question as you were talking. Do you guys do managed services? Yeah. So we do because people need it, not because I want to build this big empire of services people. Our, our data, yeah. our report, Rick, it shows it's it's on the increase. You got the labor shortage and sophisticated, not just human beings, but human beings that understand all the context you were just going through. That's a yep. limited body of people with multiple domain knowledge that has to sort of be converged there. Like I understand this and I understand that and how it all works together. That MS managed security services specific to, to the OT realm make are gonna make sense. Our data says it's, it's you know, more and more companies are saying, yeah, that's we're, we're gonna need that, we need help. 
Yeah, and you know what? You you hit upon I think probably the single biggest issue that it it's the unspoken, it's the un it's like everybody worries about social security running out of money, but we're not really doing anything about it until we run out of money and it'll be a big panic, right? And I think I think the staff shortage in OT is a similar problem. We all know it's there. We all know it's a big deal. We try and do some things about it, but there's bigger fish to fry. And I think it's going to hit some people in the face. And so there are two things that we do. And again, you know, back to back to why I'm so excited about where we are and the way we do it is, is that we build an architecture such that managed services is instantly empowered by the, with the tools at hand. And the second is that the tools at hand also minimize the effort taken. So let's let's unpack each of those a little bit. One of the things that we've done by design is build the endpoint data collection into a, a middle layer database because that middle layer database is where I add the context, okay? One-to-one -one mapping of vulnerabilities offline from OT. We're not doing OT scanning. We're taking it offline. We're doing all the machinations above and away from the OT environment. And then one or more of those databases can then aggregate up into a single reporting or single view which is where the managed services, the SOC, the compliance, the CISO, anybody who needs to, lifecycle management, can look at data and say, show me all my Windows 7 boxes. How much extended support do I need from Windows? Um, show me all my Rockwell that have this new update around this firmware needing to be updated. How many of them are there? Where are they? How do I do this, right? So that visibility instantly allows for that um, cross-sectional view and, and understanding true risk, and again, the context. Blue keep coming out could be a nightmare or it could be a minimal problem, depending on what you have and how it's out there. Um, and so let me give you a couple of examples of how that, that plays. We have one client today that has 600 operating facilities worldwide. 300 of them are, are unmanned, unstaffed, right? They're small air separation sort of stuff, right? But still, they have assets at 600 locations with spinning equipment and potentially explosive process and chemicals and et cetera. Um, 3,700 Windows boxes across there. They are able from one dashboard at headquarters with eight people to see all 3,700 computers around the world. And they can carve it up by geography, by vintage, by actual business process. They call consequence, level of consequence. Some of the chemicals they make, those go bad and we run for the, the blast bunker. Others, it's like, well, that's a nuisance, right? You know, We'll just have to vent that to the atmosphere and come back again. But the point is that th this this organization who'd struggled for so many years to understand what was in the field and what was installed or not, what was pulled off the shelf, what was pulled out, what was end of life, what was on it, how it was run, how it was configured, now is able to see, for example, if the Windows Update service is truly disabled on all of their systems at their high consequence facilities as part of their corporate standard, right? And it's not just a nice to know, it's a they can see it and they can also enable it if it isn't there, right? So there's this, there's this, and, and the extension of managed services is I turn this information on with the context and I can see anything. The, the list of stuff we found at this one pharmaceutical client, we found five computers that were dual homed around the firewall. <laughs> four of them, four of them are running TeamViewer, free TeamViewer off the download site. 47 dormant admin accounts, 148 exploitable versions of Rockwell. We found all sorts of Nmap and software on there that we didn't want to see in different places, right? Um, how, common, how common is this? I mean, you talk about 200 and I forget your count, how many, you know, just this year interactions. I don't know how many, how many sites you've been to over the last, you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, how common is this that, you know, I would call it low maturity? 
Unfortunately, despite some of my friends and learned colleagues who, who have rosier glasses on, I think, um, it's unfortunately more common than you'd think. We, I have a friend who works at a, a large company and, and they have a very well-recognized standard and they're sought after to speak at different trade shows because of their pedigree in the space. But then I have another set of friends that, that still work for OPC and we're trying to put together some tunnelers to get data together and asked me to review what their proposed architecture was. And when I looked at how the actual, and it's the same company, just a different you know vendor um, rather than the owner, and the actual implemented at the site couldn't be further from what is documented as the standard shall be from the corporate on, on high. Unfortunately, it's, it's just sometimes the way it goes, right? Um, I, we had a client the other day turn all our software on and, and then we discovered that there was a firewall and on that firewall was some sort of router. So we connected the router, we saw it was open and four of the five ports were external IP facing. So really they were hanging off the internet at five of the seven sites we installed at. They didn't even know. Um, so sometimes it's inadvertent just by some well-intentioned but poorly designed. And sometimes it's just because the day-to-day -day reality of, I was in Aramco headquarters shortly after Shamoon. Have you ever had 37 people show up to an OT security meeting in, your, in all your years of selling? Never have 37, right? Seven maybe, not 37. And it was because they just got melted down by Shamoon What some 30,000 corporate PCs got melted down to nothing. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. They could have hammered me. I was a Honeywell rep at the time, hammering me, hammering me. Well, we could do this, we could do that. What, how do you do that? So, well, you could try this. What? And basically they were trying to say like, well, Honeywell can't make us bulletproof, so we're gonna have to do our own thing. I'm like, well, security's not about bulletproof. I mean, if they wanna get in, they will. And I said, well, what did you do? And they said, well, we unplugged the refinery. I said, what did you do? They said, we air gapped it. They're not allowed to get to the internet. We turned off all the internet. And I said, well, you know that they need to bring files in. So they're gonna now bring in USB keys from a home PC, which is less secure. They said, oh no. They know that if they violate the IT policy, they'll get fired. And I said, well, you know that if they don't make oil, they'll get fired faster. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like it's and so they're like, oh, well, we'll see. And sure enough, we went the next day to the refinery and there was five or six USB keys on the plant manager's desk because he's trying to keep things running. Right. So that's your question. Unfortunately, we see it. And it's often a byproduct of the fact that we have uptime and staff shortage and vintage equipment that we just have no way around sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so talk about, you know. And, and, you know, people need to pick people to help them. Yep. How, so, you know, how do they select, you know, uh, obviously you're you're um, uh, quite happy to be a leader at Verve and, and, and be well-versed in what Verve offers. So that might be part of your answer. But I just, I can, I can, I talk to so many different types of end users and they're like, we, we do need to get some help. And there seems to be a wide variety from large, well-known firms that say, hey, we also have a practice area in this, to smaller firms that say, this is what we're completely focused on, it's all we do, and then everything in between. How do they select someone to come help them do OT or ICS cybersecurity? What, what kind of questions should they be asking? Yeah, great question. I think in all cases, they should have an OT person come to the meeting and help interview whatever the vendor's proposing for the Not consultant. Cyber person, an OT person, right? That's right, absolutely, yeah. Well, because there's no shortage of cyber expertise, and and I I only half joke that I have, have quickly crash course trained one or two big four consultants that are coming in as an OT expert into an OT environment about why what they're proposing doesn't work in OT, and halfway through they went, well I didn't know that I had no idea about that right, and there's nothing on that person they they were hired for something they have a very good cybersecurity pedigree they may have worked in an operating company albeit on the IT side, and they may have heard about some OT things but. I, I can't tell you the number of times somebody I get on a call with, and they go, well, you're one of the first people I've talked to in soliciting the market for vendors, whether it's services or software, 
that knows a PLC doesn't mean, you know, public liability corporation. You know what I mean? Like they're just, it's, it's a pretty quick sniff test. And I'm not saying that you absolutely have to be, you know, thoroughly into OT and understand it, but if you don't have the pedigree, you, you, you're potentially dangerous in that space. Yeah, but I like something that, that you've just suggested, which is bring some different stakeholders to the to the table. So Absolutely. if you're looking for a third party uh, part partner that's going to help you, you know, either come in and do some work and leave, or manage security, they're going to be there part of your partner, you know, year round. Either way, yep. that bring multiple stakeholders because there are multiple viewpoints to be to be uh, observed here. Yep. And it's a, it's just simple awareness and oversight. Like, I mean, corporate IT guy that I was working with at a pipeline company said, we're going to put these system hardening and we're putting these new domain controllers in. But one of them was that the, the policy was that if you have a, a critical system, it has to have that banner log on that you acknowledge before you go any further. Well, it's an unmanned point along a pipeline that if it ever goes offline, it has to reboot and auto log in to get telemetry data back. And so there's nobody there to click the I accept on the battery login. And so your security control has effectively stopped the operational function, right? And they just don't know that because they've never been in the field. They don't know that that's how these are configured. And it looks like a Windows box, but it's configured completely differently. Um, and so that's why, you know, again, we, the second half of what I want to talk about with the people is because there's not that many people, we need to leverage them across multiple as far as we can. And so this team of eight that's set 3,700 computers, that's exactly what we're trying to build because we can take the efficiency down. So this, the second thing I want to share with you that we're quite proud of is an operating client that 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 did some work um, in a manual effort. Blue Keep comes out, we're going to look at some spreadsheets, we're going to pull up WSIS, we can look at SolarWinds, we're going to look at Rockwell Asset Center, et cetera, et cetera, figure out what they have. Long story short, the manual effort of hunt and peck and figure out use spreadsheets that most people are reliant upon today are disparate systems, you know, coming together sort of versus this this portal that provides the visibility of the managed service, but also the mechanism to automate. So you can actually send the command out to preload the patch file, but don't do anything until someone's standing there because it's a critical system versus, oh, it's a redundant one, go ahead and test it and report back on the success so that we can you know, add it to our analysis. They're tracking to be spending only 30% of what they did before this automated approach came in. They're only spending three out of $10 of that manual maintenance budget and they're being more efficient and arguably more secure because they're more consistent and able to demonstrate through verified reports right and this is what i really wanted to get to why i'm so excited verb is saying look we don't have to stay on the perimeter we don't have to be afraid to touch the endpoints we don't have to be afraid of automation under controlled circumstances and if we do it right with the architecture we can take those scarce resources either internally or scarce resources through a managed service externally and extend that automation, that visibility, and that context very, very safely and very precisely in a significantly impactful way. I mean, this is a $700,000 savings for this organization. The engineers are back at work at noon on Tuesday as opposed to starting Monday and going all the way to end of work Friday. They start Monday morning, they're back at work by Tuesday, and so they're being engineers. You're talking about then this is at the heart of cybersecurity not being just a cost center. It's always an issue, right? You're saying yep. that. It's it's not just about security. It's about a higher, you know, a, a higher plane of things that include security. And 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 this is, I guess, part of your firm's design. Is hey, we also do. We don't just do security. We do a lot of different things. Yeah. If, if you operationalize these new technologies and solutions, or philo you know, philosophy strategies, I guess is maybe the word I was looking for. Then yes, you can be more secure. Great goal. I mean, a noble goal that we've got to work towards. But oh, by the way. There could be these other tangible, potentially right to the bottom line, uh, you know, profit 
Thank you. Bottom bottom line, program design, procedure, workflow development, uh, efficiencies, uh, leverage. Again, if, if I can if I could take a security expert that says, here's what Blue Keep says is happening, and an OT expert and say, well, here's what I can or can't do on certain systems, and we can then look at all those systems in the fleet, and I can automate a lot of the steps, right? Like disabling a remote desktop, because a 24-7 manned HMI doesn't need remote desktop enabled, and it's what Blue Keep attacked. You know, we now put the best of both worlds and those scarce resources. Uh, and to your point, does the security guy need to do everything about OT or OT know everything about security? No. But if I come to you, Derek, and I say, okay, I'm a security guy, the things that you need to worry about are remote desktop and the guest account. And you say, well, I don't need that on 80% of my systems. We now have a compensating control between IT and OT. And if you can automate the deployment of that and report it up to the board and say, look, we're 80% covered within 24 hours. This is this is where we're changing the game of what it means to do OT security, to do OT security, the maintenance, the management, the managed services. You don't need an army. You don't need to go build from a big four, some massive organization and, and put 10 people on the bench or hire some massive offshore company to manage hundreds and hundreds of staff in, in a big team. You can actually make this very, very efficient uh, and very OT safe. And that's to me the most exciting part. But again, it departs significantly from the majority of who we're up against. Mostly when I go to a bid, I'm competing for why my information around the inventory is better or my approach to vulnerability is safer or, you know what I mean, those sorts of things. Because people are still, in many cases, looking at, I need I need an assessment before I can do anything. Well, I can tell you right now, Derek, you could tell pretty much any operator right now, 80% of what's wrong in their plant without even going into the, into the facility. Why do we continue to cling to not wanting to touch the OT assets? Why do we want to cling to you know, manual assessments and then hand it over. And it starts to age, by the way, immediately as I go to do things. And then I have to do an assessment again to see if I move the needle, right? Um, it's it's needing to move. If we truly want to make a difference in OT, we need to overcome that there's not enough staff and we need to be able to automate. We need to be able to touch the endpoints because that's the only way to actually reduce and manage the risk. So in your opinion, are those holistic truths right there? Those are just true. doesn't matter, you know, that those things are true and have to be sort of observed and incorporated. Yeah, I don't care who you are, who you use, or who you believe. If 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 you don't if you don't move the needle, if you don't actually reduce the risk, what are you doing? And that, that we don't have enough people. Yep. Endpoints are gonna gonna have to be intimate with with the endpoints. Carefully, yep. but yep. you know the idea of don't touch, don't go over there, don't don't step in that room has got to you know isn't really gonna work. We can't be afraid of it anymore. No. Yeah. And what was the third one? Basically, we need to automate if we can because automate. there's just not enough bodies. So automate, endpoint, and 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 actually contextual safe, you know, risk. We have to go to the endpoints. We have to. It, it, my friend Andrew, we joke about it. He even came up after this session and said, "Yeah, you got me there." I was on the podium and I said, "You know, you're the owner of these systems, and and you bring your vendor and they do the patches that they approve, but they only test patches that impact their software. You still have underlying risks on that system. What are you going to do about it? You own the system." And I gave the example of a client that had 1,200 vulnerabilities before the vendor came. They paid $10,000 to the vendor. And when they left, there were still 850 vulnerabilities. And Andrew, remember the salesperson? I totally, totally get it. I, like I said, I was able to tease him a little. He's like, well, if you had a unidirectional data gateway, you wouldn't need to worry about the patches on the inside, right? Because no one can get in. And I said, well, okay, let's just do a, a poll of all the owner operators in this room. How many are okay with 850 vulnerabilities on a single system? And not a single hand went up. But anyway. Okay, I see your point, right? The whole hard and crunchy on the outside, you know, which Eric Byers used to write about 20 years ago, right? Unfortunately, your question earlier, people still, people still want, I had a friend of mine from that OPC division say, can you send me a white paper on why you need network segmentation or perimeter thing? I'm like, 
yeah, but it's going to be at least 15 years old. Nobody's written about that in forever. It's it's table stakes, right? But sometimes you still get that lack of maturity. Again, there are those who who are much more bullish, and there are there are lots of organizations that are leading the way. They are doing some really good things, um, but there are still lots of gaps. I mean, I've, one of the companies I talked to, they're really locked down. Lots of professionals have really ratcheted up what they're doing. But their desire to do endpoint hardening or lease privilege on OT isn't slated until 2026. I'm like, why? Why does it need to wait three or four more years? You know? It's what? Perceived kind of too heavy lift? Too big a project? Too costly? Yeah. They think it's going to be, need to be done manually. They need to figure it out. they got other things to do. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. It's just, it's, we'll get to it. We'll get there eventually. So what are you and, and Verb excited about as far as looking ahead? If you're sort of do little future gazing, what's... What's around the corner? Uh, for me, I'm a bit of a geek and wanting to get into new geographies, new industry verticals. We've got some pretty exciting stuff coming up in UK, Europe, Middle East, uh, even Latin America. Um, we got some really cool new technology enhancements. Uh, we, we had a CTO, I love the guy, um, probably one of the smartest technical people I've, I've ever met. Um, and he took us from the old version to the majority of what we have for today. And then we've now gone to this newer guy. Um, and the newer guy is a completely different personality. He's like, look, I'm here. I'm you know, you're my customer. I'm here to serve you, right? Whereas the other guy was like, kind of like the no soup for you guy on Seinfeld. You know what I mean? Like you do things my way or you don't get it sort of thing, right? Um, fantastic soup, right? But <laughs> just interesting parameters. Where the new guy's like, no, what do you want? Your soup? Well, you know, croutons in it, let's throw croutons in it. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, and I sat with him the other day and he gave a presentation to the, the whole senior leadership team and said, here's what we're doing. And at the end of it said, I felt like I just sat through a timeshare and I want to sign up not once, but twice. I'm going to bring my brother in and I'm going to get one for my mom. Like, Totally, totally stoked. This guy gets it. He wants to take us to the next level and, and has listened very carefully to the field guys and their deployments and the OT ramifications of what we can or can't do and how we need to get more rapid. We are one of our data collection components um, lets us talk to different endpoints. And of course, everybody's got something different. We pulled back a stat from our top five customers only, not the 50 or 60 we're up into now, but the, just the top five. We have between the, the, the chassis of Rockwell Rack and the, and the OS that it's running, we're managing almost 1400 different combinations of Rockwell kit, right? To me, that's mind blowing, right? Everybody says that last mile is so hard and there's so many weird and wonderful. It's like, no, like we're rapidly knocking those down. Like, I mean, it's it's the, the expansion, the, the capability, the visibility, it's it's mind boggling. When, when I have a client say, we're gonna save $700,000 this year and be more secure than we were when we do it manually, how do you argue with that, right? How do you how do you say, nah, it's, I'll do it my own way, thanks. You know, like the caveman guy with the, one with the round wheel and the other guy trying to drag the square one's like, oh no, we got it. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Run those square wheels then, buddy, you know? Oh man. Well, awesome. Thank you, Rick Khan, VP of Solutions and Verve Industrial Protection for coming and chatting with us about uh, about Verve and what makes you guys special and what you're what you're doing and where you're headed. And I hope this sheds some light on folks I know that are interested in finding out what unique things providers do and you guys have have uh, you know a lot of experience? Not many companies can go back uh, as many years. What twenty five? If I did the math, almost right. almost thirty. This September will be thirty. 30. Yeah, yeah, there 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 you go. So yeah. um, thanks again for for all that and for all the years of uh, of, of helping uh, helping CSAI along too and and being a third for third or maybe the third chapter president in the in the whole ecosystem. So. Yeah, no, it's a, like I said, it's always a pleasure hanging with you guys, Derek, and appreciate the the platform and sharing and, and learning as well. You got some pretty pretty cool people on this uh, on this channel, so I uh, appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Take care, Rick, and uh, I'm sure we will be talking again uh, again soon.